All right, thanks. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for each person that's here. I thank you, God, that you have arranged the world for them to get here. You brought us all together here in this moment for a reason and for a purpose. Uh, you have something you want us to see or learn or apply or all the above. So God, help us put aside all the things going on outside the circle for a while. Help us to focus on your word. Help us to be open to what you want us to see. We love you. We thank you for each other. God, I pray we never take for granted that we get to do this together. God, your word says, come, let us reason together. That's what we're going to do. So we love you. We thank you. Hold our hands and walk us through your scriptures. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that came up last week that I think is really important to nail down. I mean, make sure you get close to the fire. It's cold out here. Um, and I, I want to talk for a minute about just being around the fire because every time we're out here, in fact, when I first saw this church, the thing I love the most about it, other than the fact that it was free, um, was this fire pit. And the reason is, um, I think a lot of times Jesus taught around fire pits. Um, I think out in the desert at night, it was cold, and, and I think uh, a lot of lessons are learned at the fire pit. And part of it is, it's interesting that in order to allow your spirit to hear what God wants to tell you, a lot of times you've got to have your mind occupied with something. Okay, that's why God often you'll hear from him when you're in the shower or when you're doing something with your hand, you know, just something minor. That's why people pray rosary beads. It gives us something to focus on so their mind stays busy so their spirit can be open to what God wants to share with them. And so I thought tonight, because it came up last week and I thought about it a lot all week, um, because I, I want to make sure that you don't live your life in what I believe is a horrible misinterpretation of Scripture. Um, and that is the idea that you could lose your salvation. And you're going to run into people, believers, not believers, who uh, are convinced that you lose your salvation. You're, you're going to run into people that are convinced you can't. And uh, each side is going to use scripture, and I want to walk you through those scriptures a little bit. So if you have your Bible on a phone, anybody, we're going to need somebody to be reading scriptures. Um, I, before I start, I want to make sure that we understand that um, there is a, uh, there's a difference between salvation and sanctification, Okay. There's a difference between salvation and growing in Christ or becoming Christ-like, okay? And a lot of times what happens is people take passages that talk about growing or maturing in Christ and they apply them to your initial salvation. So I want to start um, with a few things um, and kind of run from there. So somebody go, let's, I'm going to throw out some passages here. Um, and one of the things I want to talk about first is, what do you think it means to be saved? Let's talk about that first. What does it mean to be saved? And by the way, just so you know, I'm recording this so that people who miss it can listen to it. Uh, I'll probably post it on my YouTube channel, so don't say anything that you're totally embarrassed about. I'll have to edit it out. Um, but uh, let's talk about what does it mean to be saved? Can I just ask first, when you say lose your salvation, you don't mm -hmm. mean like lose, like I lost my car, because you mean like 
like you had it and you did something to make it where you're not saved anymore. Did something like you sin too much or, you, or now you reject the gift of salvation? Uh, well, it could be, uh, the argument would be that you have rejected what you previously believed or that you um, have, uh, yeah, basically rejected what you previously believed. That there was a time in your life where you surrendered to Christ, uh, you received the Holy Spirit, and then you decide later you're not going to do it. Okay. Yeah, I believe very much you cannot lose your salvation. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm also going to tell you how people use Scripture, I think, out of context and do some pretty impressive biblical gymnastics with it to be able to come up to their conclusions. But I'll tell you, one of the things to remember is that people who love Jesus fall on different sides of this equation. Okay? Uh, different churches fall on different sides of this equation. Uh, Baptists very much are in the uh, once saved, always saved. Most evangelical churches, once saved, always saved. Assembly of God churches, you can lose your salvation. Um, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. But what does it mean initially to be saved? What does that mean? Okay, why? How? What? Because your sin debt has, sin debt has been paid. You no longer okay. have any wrath. Okay, your sin debt has been paid. Why has it been paid? What's... If I don't know anything about salvation, I say, why do y'all keep saying I need to be saved? What, what is it, what's it talking about? Like uh, you've changed your mind, you've repented, you've given your life to Christ. So okay. Now, um, the Ten Commandments, um, that we've all broke at least some of them. We don't deserve to go to heaven on our own strength for by grace that we're saved. Okay, why? why? Why can't I go to heaven? I don't understand. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough? Nope. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So I have a problem, I guess they would say. Um, and that problem is I have uh, sinned and fallen away from God. That sin separates me from God and I can't be reconnected to God unless that sin issue is dealt with because he's holy and I'm not. Okay. And so at some point I have to come to a point in my life where I believe to the core of my being, to the very best that I can, that I'm separated from God and need to reconnect with him. And that what Jesus did on the cross is the only way I can be reconnected. Okay? Now, the scriptures are clear um, that once you confess, once you agree with God about your sins, once you acknowledge your sins, and I'm not talking about walking down the aisle and feeling goosebumps at youth camp. Okay? A lot of people have done that. Um, I'm not big into experiences like that. I believe that coming to Christ is something that happens over time. Um, and I believe it's a resolute soul. It's something that doesn't happen just because you're moved emotionally in a moment. It's something that happens over time as you become more and more aware of the revelation of God. Now, why would somebody who's a sinner want to even consider? Why, what would make someone even consider the things of God? They might see the, the power in us. Okay, good point. They see something you have that they want, and they ask you about it, right? That's so, what? Why? Um, what did I ask? Why? Um, yeah. Why would? How would they know? How they know what? How did? How did you decide one day to come to Christ? What? What happened? Did you suddenly wake up one day and go, "Oh, okay, it's time to do something"? God woke me up when my mom passed away. Okay. All right. And uh, so many things, like, well, first of all, she 
she was saved and uh, mm-hmm. the whole time it was all about Christ. Yeah. Like, and she was praying and she was praying for my dad and I and she, right. was, she was supernatural peace. That peace that's, Absolutely. That's, that's all I'm saying. Praise she God. She was going, you know, and she was comforting everyone else and her friends were pissed, the ones that were in Yeah, the, sure. Like, they're like, we're supposed to comforting you and like, she was no. praying for other people and she's dying. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So, when, when my dad's mom was alive, uh-huh. when I was a little kid, I always slept over at her house when I with my little cousin. Sure. And every single night we read a page out of the Bible, we talk about it, and then once I got older, mm-hmm. um, I remember all those, and like, so I started to read them. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard when she died, mm-hmm. it was the day of the funeral, and um, when I was bringing her casket in, like the bells on top of the church were like dinging. And I think like God like told me like, because I, I was scared like sure. out of my mind. Yeah. But I think like God just like protected me and okay. that's how, and then when they were talking, I was looking at the cross the whole time. Yeah. yeah. So God used that moment. I think one of the things, if you think about your salvation and almost everybody I've ever talked to, God combines three things together. Uh, it's the mess, the messenger, and the message. Okay? And I've rarely talked to somebody who didn't have those three things in their life when they surrendered to Christ. And a couple things that I think you need to be aware of. The scriptures are very clear that in and of yourself, you would never come to the idea of coming to Christ. The only reason anybody turns towards Christ is because the Holy Spirit has begun to move and shape their heart, okay? So I tell people all the time, I've never saved anybody. I've never converted anybody. I've been used by God to share the truth of the word and the Holy Spirit has moved that person's heart. But almost everybody says, you know, I was going through my life, I was doing not so well, maybe okay, I don't know, something happened. And I uh, began to get somewhat unsettled. I didn't really understand what was really happening. and. Somehow I knew I needed something deeper, and then this thing happened. My mom died, or, or somebody I loved died, uh, and it really got my attention, made me start thinking about things. And then God sent a messenger to me, my mom, who was at such peace. And, and so I had this mess in my life, and I had this messenger, and then either I knew or somebody brought me the message of Christ. And those three things together often is what the Holy Spirit uses to move us to get to a point where we're like, you know what? I need to surrender. So for me, you know, for, I, I was one of those people that I never, uh, I mean, I worried about everything. And I worried that other people weren't worrying. Um, and I was never at peace. And I met somebody that had, to, I mean, absolute total peace. And I was like, where did you get that? I mean, it was so obvious that she just lived in a different stratosphere than I did. And she said, well, it's Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh, darn, that's not what I wanted. Um, but I began to think about that. And you're right. I saw in her a fruit of the Spirit that I was like, I want whatever it takes to get to that point in my life, that's where I want to be. And so God often uses people, a messenger, to bring truth into your life and to bring people to Christ. There is a moment, though, where every person has to make a decision once they've been, uh, once the, the truth of what Jesus has done has been revealed, everybody at some point has to make a decision. Okay? Now, the scriptures tell us quite a lot about this process, and I want us to run through the scriptures. And before we do, I just want to say one other thing. Anytime in the Bible where you find a scripture that says something, 
And that's about the only place you can find it. But you have many, many other scriptures that refute it or many, many other scriptures that um, counter it. Most likely you've misinterpreted the very first one. You're, in other words, it's more likely God doesn't contradict himself in scripture. And there's so many times when people grab one scripture, they pull it out of context and they try to make it say something that it doesn't really say. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. But for now, let's start with, um, uh, basically you're saved because you fully put your trust in Christ. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Somebody read that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay. If anyone is in Christ, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, basically you're saved, right? You're, you're somebody who is in Christ. You have surrendered to Christ. You have uh, received the Holy Spirit. You are a uh, sealed, signed believer, okay? And the scriptures here say that when that happens, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, okay? Uh, I've always said I wish we would change names when we would come out of the baptismal water uh, because I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm a totally different person than the one after, that lives after I met Jesus, okay? But the scripture tells us that when we surrender to Christ, it's not just that we made a decision and now we can label ourselves as a Christian. There's a complete, total transformation of who we are as a person, okay? Uh, and basically what happened in the Garden of Eden has been restored. So let me explain that for a minute. When we were... Um, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were created in the image of God, okay? Um, and there were really three components to how God created them. They had the spirit, they had their mind, and they had their body. So if you just want to narrow it down relatively easily, spirit, mind, and body, okay? The way God designed us is to uh, work in His image, okay? So first and foremost, Adam and Eve were spiritual beings led by the Spirit of God. They were clearly um, in His image. They had the full Spirit of God. God was there to lead them, teach them, guide them, show them. He created this incredible world. And then He's like, you're not gonna believe this, but we're gonna walk through this world together because what I want is a relationship with you. I created you because I wanna have a relationship with you. Okay, I'm a relational God. And so basically what He does is He says, okay, um, when you have a question, ask me, I'll tell you what it means. When we're walking around and you want to know what's happening or you want to know why this happens in the world or you want to know why that happens or whatever, you just come to me and I'll tell you. I have all the knowledge you need. Okay? Now, your mind was designed by God to take the information the Spirit gives it and distribute it out to your body. Okay? That's how you're designed. What happens is Adam and Eve were placed on earth as ambassadors of heaven. Okay? In other words... They were spiritual beings sent to earth to um, represent heaven on earth, okay? And what they basically did was um, they were spiritual beings having a human experience, okay? And then they basically decided, well, we don't need God, we can do this ourselves, okay? It's sort of like if you think about an ambassador, an ambassador of the United States represents the president of the United States, whatever country they go to. 
okay? They don't speak for themselves, they speak what the president wants them to speak. If they choose to act on their own, we call that treason. Treason's always punishable by death. Adam and Eve were guilty of treason. They came from heaven, they were supposed to represent God on earth, and they chose to represent themselves, okay? As a result, because God is holy, his spirit left. Adam and Eve basically said, look, I, I, uh, uh, I don't need you, God. I got this. We're good. We want to be our own God. We want to do our own thing. Uh, and God said, well, I can't be where sin is. You're unrepentant in your sin. You're not moving forward. I'm going to go. And you can figure this world out on your own. And that's basically what happened with the fall is from that point forward, nobody was born with the spirit. They were all born with just their mind and their body, and they tried to figure out the world based on what they could understand. Well, the problem is that's grossly inadequate. We're not, we're not created to understand everything around us. And so now we have five, seven, 10, 20, whatever thousand years of man trying to make sense of a world with a mind they're not able to make sense with, okay? So basically what happens is um, the uh, Spirit of God basically left, okay? And through the law, the prophets and all those, they kept saying one day, one day somebody's coming who's going to bring back the kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom of God left and went to heaven, left us on our own, but one day the kingdom of God's going to return. One day the Spirit of God will return and, and reinforce and restate the relationship that we had with God. Well, that's basically what Jesus did. He comes, we receive the Holy Spirit. The moment we receive the Holy Spirit, we're no longer humans trying to have a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings now having a human experience. So there's a very massive transaction that occurs when you surrender to Christ. You are literally born again. You are reborn. You're no longer led by your mind. You're led by your spirit. Okay? Now the problem is you have your mind still. You still see the world the way you used to see the world. And as a result, we're constantly trying to live as spiritual beings with a flesh that is resistant to that. And Paul talks about that. And so when you surrender to Christ, you are a new creature, a new creation, reborn. Okay? Now there's nowhere in scripture that says you can be unborn or you can become unspiritual. Okay? In fact, the scriptures tell us that Jesus paid the entire cost, price, for us to be saved. Okay, so if we are saved and then we can do something to lose our salvation, then salvation is dependent on us, not on him. Okay, so let me keep going. So that scripture says we're a new creation in Christ. Hey, come on in. Okay, now somebody read 1 Peter 1.18 and 19. 1 Peter 1.18 and 19. First Peter 1, 18 through 19. First Peter 1. We're talking about your favorite topic. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I know. I walked in. I was excited. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Don't be shy. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Okay, what does redeemed mean? What does redeemed mean?
the price for something that we can um, do ourselves. Okay, so, so redeem basically means the price has been paid for whatever it is. Okay, that there's intrinsic value because the price has been paid. So Peter's telling us, look, you were paid with the blood of Christ. All right, and you were redeemed. Okay, now what that means is, is that um, a price was paid for you the moment you were saved. So in order for you to be unsaved, that price, that, that promise would have to be taken back. Okay, and the challenge there is that God's promise is true. So if you were basically uh, redeemed, the price was paid for you to be saved, nowhere in Scripture does it talk about taking away your redemption, taking away that price. It's what been paid, you've been accepted, you're a new spiritual being, you've been reborn, and you have been reestablished with Christ. Uh, and that's an important thing to think about. Um, what about Romans 5.1? Romans 5.1. Go ahead. Uh, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, <clears throat> we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what does justified by faith mean? Made right with God. Made right with God, based on your faith. Okay, notice it's past tense. You have been. The moment you were saved, you were justified. In other words, justified basically means that the sins that you've held have, no longer have a punishment. There's no longer uh, a wrath coming your way. There's no longer um, uh, anything you have to do in addition. You have been completely justified. Your relationship with Christ, with God, has been established. Okay. Now, if you were to lose your salvation, there would have to be some moment of unjustification. You would have to be unjustified. In other words, Christ would have to go back on his promise. He would have to say, look, I've redeemed you. I've paid the price for you. I've justified you. I've established you in a right relationship with God. And then you have to go, oh, no, 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 never. No, that wasn't it. Forget it. My bad. Didn't happen. Okay. And so God never goes back on promises. Okay. If you're going to lose your salvation, he would have to undeclare what he previously declared. Um, now, John 3.16, we all know. What's the promise of John 3.16? Okay, and everlasting life means? Okay, so he says, uh, for God so loved the world that whoever, uh, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. Okay, so once you believe in him, okay, you are promised eternal life. That's part of the promise that God gives us, right? So in order for us to lose that promise, that verse would have to be untrue. Okay, we'd have to we'd have to struggle with that. Hey, come on in. Yeah. Um, now, um, let's try Ephesians one thirteen. The whole of Ephesians one probably. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter one, verse thirteen and fourteen. Okay, what do you think that means? 
Okay, the moment you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay, in first century biblical times, a seal was a stamp from the king uh, that could never be revoked. It could never be changed. Now, even if you, if the king stamped an order and it went out, even the king himself could not unstamp the order. Okay, uh, and so it's important to understand that what he's saying there is, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God put his stamp on your life. He counted you as one of his. He, um, uh, based on your faith alone, not what you've done, not what you will do, not what you'll decide not to do, he stamped you with his Holy Spirit, okay? So you've been reborn and sealed, okay? You're no longer a human having a spiritual experience. You're now a spiritual being on earth having a human experience, okay? And as a result, you have been sealed with the Spirit of God, okay? Now, a seal is a promise. Okay, when they sealed letters or when the king sealed an edict, he couldn't revoke it once it was sealed. And a seal is a promise. Okay, so basically what happens is God says, look, I'm going to save you. Okay, right now none of us are saved. We have the promise of salvation. Okay, based on the, the, our faithfulness in God's truth. Okay, but he says, look, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you will know that you're saved. You won't have to worry about it. And then one day, I'm going to redeem you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically cash in the price you're worth because of what I paid for you, okay? Um, and as a result, um, you will be saved and you'll know it, okay? Now, um, if we go to, um, somebody read, okay, so let's ask this question. Um, all of us are probably thinking or have thought about somebody that we think followed Christ, we believed knew Christ, and they walked away. Right? I mean, y'all know people like that? Okay, and your question is, did they lose their salvation? Okay. So, let's talk about that for a minute. Okay, somebody that went to church, prayed, loved Jesus, you were there at their baptism, you were there through their life, you watched them, they, they love Jesus, they loved group, they love each other, and then one day they go, nope, not for me. I'm walking away. I no longer believe. Okay? What happened to them? They never became a new creation. Okay, that's one possibility. Second is they've lost their salvation, right? Yeah, they've, rejected the gift. they've rejected the gift that they've already accepted. Okay, right? I mean, how, how can you tell if somebody has surrendered to Christ or not? Do you know? I mean, can you look at each other and say, wow, that person knows Christ. Okay, can you fake fruit? Yeah. I'm just asking, can you? I don't know. It's like when you see plastic fruit in someone's house, like you just know. All right. <laughs> you just know, yeah. You see plastic fruit, you know. Okay. How 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 long do you think you'd walk with them before you'd realize? Something was wrong. What do you think? I mean, 
You can? Okay. So if you spent, let's say, a year with somebody, yeah. you think within a year you could figure out whether they're truly following Christ or not? Yes. You think? What do you all think? I think, so. I think you can? I don't know for sure, but I feel like... I think it's less about... in the moment. Okay. more about the... All right. So how much time do you think it would take for you to be around somebody who's faking it, okay, and identify that they're faking it. Their whole life. Their whole life, okay. So it takes an entire life? Well, I don't know. The, the initial thought that I have is go back to Paul talking about running the race with endurance, working mm -hmm. the faith. Right. Mm -hmm. um, That's right. Until what's happened? Until that you've run the race. Okay, so when will you know that I'm saved? Let's put it that way. When I see you in heaven. Exactly, okay. All right. Now, um, yet we know that people who have the f Spirit of God, if they're abiding in the vine, they produce the fruit of God. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, right? Okay. Um, and over time, my life should be changing and there should be evidence of my growth. Uh, but the truth is, you can't look at anybody and tell if they're saved. Okay? One night, Jesus turned to his disciples and says, one of you will betray me. Not one of them said, I bet it's Judas. I knew it. I knew it. We've been walking with that guy for three years. I knew he wasn't saved. I knew he was faking. Okay? The truth is, you don't know. All right? And so when people say, well, look, I know somebody was saved and they walked away, my answer is you don't know. Okay, now the question is, can you, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, reject God? Okay, think about this carefully. If you are born again, the Spirit of God is in you. What's the Spirit of God do? What's the job of the Holy Spirit? To point to Jesus and to glorify Jesus. Okay? Can God contradict himself? Okay. So when you say you're born again and you have the spirit of God in you, can you reject God? What do you think? Well, how close can you come? Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Can you reject him though? Okay. Okay, now... In one sense, you kind of do if you go off the rails. Okay. Let me tell you my story, Okay. I uh, was baptized at the age of about 14. Um, I believed in God. I believed in Christ. I knew beyond a doubt that God had touched me. I knew beyond a doubt that I was a sinner, and I knew beyond a doubt that I needed to be saved. I, I, just, I just knew. Um, I was pretty uh, mature for my age intellectually, so I read the Scriptures. I knew what was going on. I fully surrendered to Christ as best a 14-year-old can. And when I was 18, I was so put off by the church that I walked away. Okay, I just could not stand that the church was behaving the way it was behaving. Um, and long story, but I walked away for 18 years. Okay, 
Now, here's the weird part. Um, even when I was away from God, I never doubted God. I never, I was never an atheist, uh, never even really an agnostic. Uh, Y'all know the difference, atheist, agnostic? Okay. Um, I just didn't think God was important to me. Okay, but I always had this sense in me. I didn't know where it came from, but I always had this sense in me that one day I was going to return back. I don't know why. All right. But now I do because the Holy Spirit will not let you run forever from God. He will bring you back. Uh, somebody read 1 John 3, 16, I think it is. I think that's the right verse. 1 John 3, 16. First uh, John 3, 6. Sorry, I read it wrong. Let's try this again. That's a good verse, but let's try 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Okay. Can you as a spirit-filled believer keep on sinning and decide that you don't know him? Is it possible? Okay, how is it possible? This scripture says, no one who abides in him and keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning has seen him or known him. Okay. All right, but we have to deal with New Testament people. Why do we have to deal with New Testament people? Because they have the power of the Holy Spirit. Samson didn't have, at every moment of his life, the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? You are indwelled with God, okay? The scriptures are clear. You are a temple. You're housing the Holy Spirit. You're a walking representation of God. He lives through you and in you. The light of him is in you. Your job is to go out into the world and share that light with people, okay? Now, it is true that there are differences between being saved and being sanctified or being mature. Okay, you can very much stall your spiritual growth if you choose to sin uh, or if you have an unrepentant sin. Okay, so for instance, uh, this scripture says no one who has the spirit in them can keep on sinning. Okay, in other words, you will not make it your lifelong endeavor to keep on sinning if the spirit of God is in you. He won't let you do it. Okay, how many of you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Okay, what happens? What happens when you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit? You're absolutely miserable. Okay, I mean, that's one of the ways I know something's from God. If I push it off, put it on, it keeps coming back. And you're, you're absolutely miserable because you know you're not in the will of God. You're not doing what he's asked you to do. Okay, now that may last 20 years. It may last 15 years. Okay, even the 10 or uh, 14 years that I was away from God, I still had this sense that I have to come back. I, I can't run away forever. Um, and so the scriptures say that if you have the spirit in you, and if you think about it, think of all the scriptures that say that God can't contradict himself, that God's promises are true. 
He says, the moment you were born, I put my spirit in you and I sealed you. And I paid a price for you and I will redeem you one day. In addition to that, you now have the spirit of God in you. You can't reject what the spirit of God wants to do because you're no longer in control of yourself. When you accepted Christ, you surrendered to God and the spirit of God that was lost in the garden has come back to rule your life. Okay. Now, does that mean you don't sin? No, of course not. You still sin, but your heart is to please God. Okay. Uh, and sometimes God has to like, get your attention to get you to remember that your heart is moving towards pleasing God. Okay. Because we are all in this struggle. Okay. Think about it this way. I talked about how in the garden, when man rejected God, we lost the spirit of God. Okay, and then we have thousands of years of man trying to figure out this place on his own, which he was never designed to do, and now the Spirit of God has come back. When you surrender to Christ, you are reestablished in the original. You're not an improved you. You're a completely different new you, and the new you is being led by the Spirit of God. Okay? The problem is you're still in a flesh body, so there's tension between what your natural desire to do is and what you know God wants you to do. And that's the struggle that we have on earth. It's called spiritual maturity. Okay, what I've learned in my life is that it's not about getting more willpower and getting stronger to overcome sin in my life. It's about surrendering more. The more I abide with Christ, the more I spend time with Christ, the more I spend time in the Word, the, the easier it is to have the heart of God and want to do what God wants us to do. Okay, now the Spirit of God is in us. We're paid with a price. We've been spiritually reborn and we're growing spiritual fruit, okay? And so one of the problems is people say, well, what if, uh, what if I decide to walk away? What, can I not decide to uh, renege on the arrangement I made with God? The answer is no, you can't. The Spirit won't let you, okay? Because for you to be able to renege on the promise that God made, He has sealed you. Okay, even the king himself can't undo the seal. So you are signed, sealed, you're just not let, yet delivered. Okay, but the promise is there. God can't renege on his promise. He can't undo his promise. Uh, and you, because you're being led by the spirit and not your flesh, will eventually surrender to the promise. Okay, now, if you don't have the spirit of God in you, you can very easily walk away. Okay. I have people come to me all the time after they've been baptized, usually about eight to 12 weeks later, and they go, you know what, it didn't take. I'm like, what do you mean it didn't take? Well, I still sin. I'm like, yep, you will. But the question is, where's your heart? Okay. I'm gonna catch on fire. <laughs> um, the question is, where's your heart? All right, you're going to have to work out your faith. That's what Paul's talking about. You're gonna have to go through struggles and trials. You're gonna have to um, surrender. You're going to have to kill part of your flesh. You're going to have to do things to continue to grow in your faith. But that has nothing to do with your salvation. Running the race is about living your life for Christ after you're saved. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to take full control of your life so that you're the brightest possible light you can be. Okay. It's not about your salvation. It's about your sanctification. It's about growing in Christ. Running the race, at least in my view, uh, in my life has been, I've got to learn more and more to lay myself down and allow God to do what he wants in my life. And I'm going to focus on him and I'm going to run the race he has for me. And, and I'm going to do everything I can do to have less of me and more of him and to allow the spirit of God to rule my life. Okay. 
Now, a lot of times people get mixed up on scriptures that are about maturity, not salvation. Okay, there's a lot of scriptures out there that talk about, uh, you know, uh, if you abide in me, you'll grow fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, well, if I'm saved, how can I do nothing? Well, it's not about doing, it's about believing. There are people out there, our church, many churches, we're full of them. People who surrendered to Christ, received the Holy Spirit, they're new believers, but they are not yet fully surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They will be one day. Scriptures are very clear. You will, if you're saved and the Spirit's in you, you will one day be like Christ. Okay, we're all headed the same direction. We're just going at different paces and different places, right? So we are sealed and promised. And now the question comes when people read Hebrews 6, okay? Hebrews 6 is the uh, calling card of the lose your salvation thing. Okay, now, before we get into Hebrews 6, I want you to understand, I can show you over a hundred scriptures that talk about keeping your salvation, that once you're sealed, you're sealed, that you're in Christ, that you have been born again, that you're walking with the Spirit, that, I mean, everything is in there, okay? So we're gonna go to Hebrews 6 next. And I want to talk about this passage because it is a common passage um, that I think is not always interpreted correctly. So who wants to read? Let's go to, where do I want to go? Hebrews 6, starting in uh, verse 4, probably. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away again to repentance okay let's stop there so let's go through this line by line and talk about it okay it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened what does that mean once been enlightened. They understand the truth of the scripture. They understand the truth. Okay. They, they see it. They know that Jesus is Lord. They see it. They recognize it. Okay. So they've been enlightened. They have seen. They understand. The mystery has been solved for them. Okay. Uh, it happens to all of us where. You know, we're going our own way, and then one day we just realize that Jesus is real, that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he said he was going to do, okay? Does everybody who believes Jesus is real and the Son of God get saved? No. No, demons do that, okay? So it takes more than just being enlightened, okay? Remember that the Spirit of God goes ahead of every person and enlightens them or shows the truth or reveals the truth to them. Okay, that's what the Spirit does. When, when I think about evangelism, I don't say, God, give me the right words. What I say is, Holy Spirit, go move ahead of the people I'm going to talk to and have them prepared, ready to hear what you want them to hear. Okay, so being enlightened means you recognize the truth. I see it. He is the Son of God. He did go to the cross. He did pay those prices. Okay, the next verse, who have tasted the heavenly gift. What does that mean? Tasted the heavenly gift. Uh, communion, maybe, tasted the heavenly gift. Okay, what's, what do you think the heavenly gift is? The Holy 
Could be. Gift of the Spirit. Could be salvation. Could be love. Could be that they've been around people who love Christ and they've seen it, they've tasted it. What does it not say? They haven't ingested it. They've tasted it. What happens when you taste something? Yeah, how long can you live tasting things? Okay, at some point, at some point you have to decide, I'm not gonna just taste this, I'm gonna eat it. Okay, I'm gonna ingest it, it's gonna become part of me. Okay, the idea of tasting something is to test it, to see if you like it. Okay, so then we go on and it says, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, shared in the Holy Spirit? Have you shared in the Holy Spirit? Can you share in the Holy Spirit? Apparently you can. It says those who have, right? Shared in the Holy Spirit. Okay. If you share things, do you possess them? Not all the time. Okay, I can come into Christian community can hang out with you guys. You guys can love on me. You can support me. You can encourage me. Uh, I've shared in the gifts. I've shared in the fact that you're loving people who care about me. But sharing in the Spirit is not the same as having the Spirit. Okay, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't share in the Spirit. I possess it. I, I'm born again. I'm, the Spirit of God is in me, full of me, through me, all those sorts of things. So I don't share it. I, I'm basically empowered by it. I'm surrendered to Him. I'm a new creature in Christ, okay? Partakers. Partakers, okay, I partake of it. Again, the taste concept. Um, there's a big difference between partaking or sharing in something and being reborn, okay? He goes on, he says, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age who've fallen away to be brought back to repentance, okay? So if I go up to Jeff and I say, Jeff, I have a gift for you. It's this fold phone thing. It's pretty cool, right? And Jeff's like, you know what? That is the coolest phone. It's the best phone. Uh, and I agree with you. That's like the best thing in the world. And I say, well, here, check it out. You can try it out for a few minutes. He tries it out. I say, here, why don't you share it with your friends? See what you think. Okay, good. Has he owned it yet? No. Is it his if he wants it? Yeah, because I'm offering it to him, right? The promise is his. He shared in the promise. He shared in the discussion. He has tasted it. He's looked at it. He's felt it. He likes it. But at the last minute he goes, no, no, I'm going to keep my phone. I don't want it. Okay. What the scripture here says is, in my opinion, if you've come that close to understanding the truth and you know, okay, and you're rejecting it, it's going to be almost impossible for you later on to come back and re-engage at that level, okay? Because you've sort of made a decision. Now, you say something about, um, now the other question here is there is a, um, this passage is used a lot, okay? Um, it basically, uh, I don't believe it's about losing your salvation. I believe it's about unbelievers who come to a knowledge of the truth, don't fully embrace it or accept it, um, and um, have not been regenerated in the Holy Spirit. So look at um, John 1, 9. Let's look at John 1, 9. 
Somebody read John 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Okay. Does that mean that every person receives the light? What does it mean? The true light that gives light to every man. Is everybody saved? No, what does that mean? Everyone has the opportunity. Absolutely. What it means is the light of God is in people all around you. You've been in connection with that light. You don't own it or possess it yet until you decide to. Okay? But the light has come for everybody. Everybody has that light. Okay? Um, and it either leads to, I mean, when you think about it, the light of God either leads to acceptance or rejection. I mean, that's basically what it does. Uh, when you're exposed to the light, you make a decision about what you're going to do. Okay. Um, um, I believe that this is my opinion, but and it's based on several things. One is when you have over a hundred scriptures that say you can't lose your salvation. When you have God giving you a promise and then teaching you to trust his promises. If you believe you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and reborn in the Spirit, then God literally has to stop being God for you to lose your salvation. In addition to that, what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. Okay? If I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I then uh, surrender to Christ, okay? But then later on I have to do something else, then what he did on the cross wasn't good enough. Okay? The scripture calls that propitiation. Do you know what propitiation means? Propitiation means that when Jesus was on the cross, and it gets sort of into the wrath of God, but when Jesus was on the cross, he paid for everyone's sin, whether they ever accept him or not. And he paid the full weight price of every sin ever. Okay? A lot of people have this image of Father God up in heaven wanting to torture and punish people with lightning bolts. Okay? But what you have to understand is in the New Testament, and people will tell you the God of the Old Testament was full of judgment and wrath, and he seems like he's out of control with anger, and he does all this stuff. And I just actually just posted a video today about the wrath of God. Okay, But in the New Testament, they go, wow, he seems to have softened. He's become a loving father. He become, I mean, it seems like he's for us instead of lashing out at people who are worshiping idols. Okay. And they say there must be two different gods, one of the Old Testament, one of the New Testament. No. What happened was Jesus went to the cross. The Father poured out all his wrath, every drop, every ounce of it on Jesus. He took it all. That's what it means when he said it is finished. Okay? It is finished means nothing else has to be done. Nothing else can be done. I've paid the full price. Whatever happens, happens. It's all based on faith in what I just did. Okay? Our faith, our, our religion, our, our salvation is not based on following a bunch of rules or even following the Ten Commandments. Our, our entire salvation is based on that we believe on a very real day, a historic moment happened where God himself went to a cross, died, and resurrected. And he took our place for our sins. He paid the full price for our sins. He didn't pay part of the price. He didn't pay a little bit of it, and now we have to be good, or we have to work out our salvation, or we have to not reject anything. He paid it all, okay? 
And the scriptures are very clear. You are saved by faith, but you work out your growth. Okay, so I can be saved, fully saved, because I believe in Christ. Okay, and I can be uh, headed to heaven. But because of, let's say, an unrepentant sin in my life, uh, because of stubbornness of my will, because of any number of things, I can stunt my spiritual growth. In fact, Paul tells them at one point, you should be eating meat by now and you're still sucking at your mother's breast, essentially, right? I mean, he basically says, look, you're nowhere near where you need to be. You're saved. He didn't say they weren't believers. He calls them brothers. You're saved. You're just not growing. And you're not growing because you're not abiding. You're not praying. You're not doing the things you're supposed to do. As a result, apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, apart from me, you're not mine. He says, you're not accomplishing what I put you on the earth to accomplish because you're not surrendered to doing what a believer would do. So the Holy Spirit in you motivates you to begin to work out your faith, to begin to grow in your faith, okay? And that, to me, is what running the race is about. The more I surrender, the more God changes me. So the challenge becomes... If many, 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 many scriptures and the entire concept of being spiritually born again is valid and you have one or two scriptures that seem to say the opposite, you probably need to spend some time rethinking and praying through that because most of the time it's a contextual thing in the language. So, for instance, some people, there's a there's a uh, argument in the Hebrew uh, that brings about um, basically... Um, um, let me just find the phrase for it. I wrote it down. Uh, uh, they have a cool name for it uh, somewhere. Um, let's see. If you read the King James, Hebrews 6.6. 6, uh, what's the first word? Anybody get the King James? Yep, very first word. If. if. Okay. Um, there is a um, concept in Hebrew writing. Um, why can I not find it? It's got a name. Uh, <laughs> Uh, basically, um, it's basically the Greek called it an argument based on false premise. Okay. Um, that if this, then that, and the if is so ludicrous that they're making their point through a negative. Okay. So we don't know what that means, but basically what it would mean is you throw out something that's almost impossible to make your point. Okay, that if by some chance you had been partakers of the Spirit, born again of the Spirit, done all those things, and then you did it, it would be impossible. But it's an impossible situation. Okay, now we don't know, the Greek and the Hebrew doesn't tell us, but relatively common to throw out an if situation that's impossible to make your point. Okay, in other words, how could you possibly lose your salvation even if you did these things? All right, so the challenge here is if you can lose your salvation, What's the point? Okay, why do, you, why do you think God would set up a situation where you could lose your salvation? Okay, let's, let's just play the premise. Suppose it's true. 
Why? Why would he let you walk away? Yeah. Well, I guess the best one would be, I mean, we always tell people, God's not going to force you into heaven because otherwise it's not real love, right? Okay. You could say that. I agree with that. Have you ever known anybody that actually did this? Truly? Walked away? For their whole life? I don't know. I don't think it's possible. Okay, I believe that if you don't have the Spirit, if you've not been born again, then absolutely you can walk away. But the question is, what would be the point theologically? In other words, Let's say God said, you know what? I'm going to send Jesus to the cross. He's going to pay it all. People are going to be able to surrender to him, believe in him, trust in him. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in them. They're going to be reborn. I'm going to seal them with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm going to teach them all things. I'm going to promise them that they will become like Christ. It's a covenant relationship. Uh, it's a unilateral, unconditional covenant. They believe in Christ. I promise that they will one day be like Christ. I'm going to change them and mold them and shape them into the person I designed them to be. Okay, and God has done all that, right? And now he says, oh, never mind. We're not doing that after all. You change your mind, okay? Why do you think this thought has come relatively pervasive in the church? You can lose your salvation. And who perfected it? Catholics perfected it. The Catholics absolutely perfected it. Okay, now let me ask you this question. Uh, those of you who have a Bible, those of you who have a Bible with you, go to the passage where Jesus uses guilt to manipulate people into following him. It's in the Septuagint. Yeah, I don't think so. There's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus uses manipulation, guilt, or shame to move people to believe in him. He had a great chance with the woman at the well, a great chance with the woman caught in adultery. He never went to a non-believer and used guilt or shame to move them, okay? Now, if you have the Spirit of God in you, do you have to be um, driven to follow the things of God? A little bit, a little bit yep. Where does that come from? Yeah, what's the Spirit going to do? What happens when you don't study your Bible for a while or you stop worshiping or you stop praying? What happens to you? Okay. You start drying up, right? I mean, you feel it inside. You're like, you're like in a desert, okay? Now, I see people every day who don't read their Bible, haven't ever read the Bible, never surrendered to Christ, and it doesn't bother them one lick that they haven't read the Bible in three weeks. Why? Exactly. They don't have the spirit in them. Okay. By, the that, by that line of logic. Right okay. Again, so, and I'm trying to work all this out. Okay. It's the whole covenant is predicated on faith. Yep. You having faith, the Holy Spirit comes into you. But yes. At some point, the Holy Spirit was convicting you while you were still a sinner. Yes. And you weren't saved. Absolutely. So, in that instance. Why would, why would somebody who's not saved not feel the same conviction 
because they don't have the Holy Spirit. If mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is pushing them to Okay, well let me ask you this question. If the Holy Spirit is revealing truth and pushing you to salvation, can you reject that? Yes. Yes. Okay, people do every day, right? Yeah. Fully revealed, this is who God is. Nope, not for me. I'm not doing it. Okay? The Spirit of God is not forcing you into any relationship. He's simply opening your eyes to see truth. Okay, now you can accept or reject truth. Okay? Oh, so the idea is that you can reject the advances, but you don't get the, the conviction unless you're indwelling. Well, no, no, this is, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. Okay. The question is, what is the relationship? Uh, this is what I talked about. You may have, anyway. What's the relationship between your flesh and the spirit? That's really what this boils down to, okay? If you are a non-believer, your flesh is in control, has been in control, is always in control, okay? You're gonna do what you wanna do. Nothing in you, not a single thing about you wants God or will seek God, okay? The scriptures are clear about that. If you're in the flesh, nothing in you even pursues God, okay? Okay, well, let's talk about it. Okay, so the scriptures say that no one, none come to Christ on their own. Okay, but the Spirit of God begins to move and begins to open and, and bring you some revelation of truth. Okay, so if you talk to people who've come to Christ, most of them would say, you know what? I wasn't even thinking about God. And then one day, I don't know, I just kind of had this desire to start doing this. Or suddenly I found myself listening to this kind of music or I ran into this guy and it was, he's a friend of mine. I've never seen that before. And I began to look and wonder, and I never thought about God before, but I started asking, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to this, right? And, and that's the spirit of God going ahead of somebody saying, I'm going to begin to show you the love of God. I'm going to show it through other people. I'm going to reveal peace to you. I'm going to reveal, uh, 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 what you're missing. I can provide for you. You're going to start feeling that, tasting it, being involved in it, right? I mean, I went 18 years. I knew the story of Christ. I went 18 years, and then, like, all of a sudden, God was, like, everywhere. And he's revealing to me things that I knew, but now, for some reason, I'm open to it. I don't know why I was open to it. I wasn't for 18 years, okay? But all of a sudden, I'm beginning to go, maybe there is something to this. Maybe I need to process this. Maybe I need to think about that. That didn't come from me. Nobody decides to follow Christ, okay? I know people argue with you about that. No one decides to follow Christ. You begin to learn about Christ and then your heart moves and you fall in love with Christ and then you decide to follow. I mean, you know, or God moves you to where you decide. What I mean by that is the Holy Spirit is going to go to you at different times in your life and reveal things to you that he wants you to respond to. Okay. Now, while the Holy Spirit is revealing truth to you and drawing you to consider the claims of Christ, you're still in your flesh. You are fully fleshed out. You can accept, reject. God gave you total free will. You can do whatever you want, okay? Uh, the Spirit is not in control of you. The Spirit is simply revealing stuff to you. You can accept it or reject it. Just because the Spirit moves and shows you who God is does not mean you have to accept it. You're totally in control, all right? Why do you think we say surrender to Christ? Yeah, you have free will. Okay, when you surrender to Christ, what you're saying is, I'm giving up my flesh and I'm allowing God to take over. I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to rule my life. 
I'm going to surrender to what Christ did. And once I do that, I'm going to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, no longer led by my flesh, but led by the Spirit of God. Okay, so there's no doubt who's in charge. Okay, you may not know it yet. You may be working it out. You may be fighting within yourself, but the Spirit of God's in you. He will win. Okay, he may not win on this earth, but he will win. Okay, uh, and as a result, I can be influenced by the Holy Spirit. I can be uh, touched by the Holy Spirit. I can get goosebumps. I can do all kinds of things can happen, but I still have free will because I'm still in my flesh. Until you still sin. I'm sorry? Until you still sin. Of course. And the process after you're saved, okay, so being saved, I said, it, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, being saved is like being pregnant. Okay, how many of y'all have been pregnant? Okay, good. Me neither. Um, but here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned from every pregnant woman I've ever known. They knew that there was new life in them before anybody else did. Wow. Okay, they could feel it. Okay. They hadn't changed a lick on the outside. They haven't become a new person. They haven't started to grow. They haven't spread their belly out. They, none of those things have happened, but inside of them, they know there is a new life in them. Okay. And so the world looks at them and says, they're no different than they were before, but they're going, no, you don't understand. There's a new life in me. There, there's something in me that is growing and is going to be manifested. Okay. I can't help it. I'm going to end up bigger in about eight months. Okay. Um, this life in me is going to change me forever. All right. Coming to Christ is very similar to that. A lot of times you accept Christ, you know that there's something different about you. I mean, most people will say, well, I see things. It's like the scales have been taken off my eyes. I begin to understand things and the word makes sense. And I want to spend time in the word. And that's not usually me. And for me, I felt a love for people I'd never felt before. I knew it wasn't for me. It was the craziest thing ever. So you begin to experience these things. Now you're still fully in the flesh, but now the Spirit of God is in a battle with your flesh. That's what Paul keeps talking about. I know what I should do, but I can't do it. I do this, I do that. How can I be saved? You know, who's going to save me from this? And he says, Christ is going to save me. Eventually, the Spirit's going to win. Okay, so here's the thing. The moment you're saved, you're born again. You're a spiritual being, and the Scriptures say, you will become just like Christ one day, okay? Now that'll be in eternity, but between now and when you leave this planet, you can begin to grow and change and shape and mold depending on how much of your flesh you wanna surrender, okay? There is still a free will part to growing in Christ, okay? I know many, many people in our church and other churches that are babies and they've been spiritual babies for 20 years and they, they have the prompting of the Spirit, okay? They believe that they should be reading their Bible or they come to church or they believe they should be doing something, but they're not growing, okay? And the reason they're not growing is because they're not abiding. It's really simple. Jesus said, if you abide in me, if you stay with me, if you spend time with me, I'll change shape and mold you, okay? He didn't say, if you spend time with me, I'll make, give you more willpower and allow you to fight sin more. It's not what he says. I'm gonna change you into a person who doesn't wanna do those things. So the challenge here is when you look at all the scriptures that talk about losing your salvation or keeping your salvation or all those kind of things, my opinion is that the scriptures are crystal clear that you can't lose your salvation. And that's exactly what God wanted. I have sealed you, done. Now go live your life. 
I think one of the greatest ways Satan can keep you from being effective in your spiritual walk is to continue wondering if you're a child of God, if you have the Spirit in you, or if you can go do anything. I mean, if you're in, think about this. If you're a child of God, if you've surrendered to Christ, you're, uh, I just taught last night here, we were doing Joshua, okay? He went into the promised land knowing the battle had already been given to him, knowing he couldn't lose, knowing he was essentially bulletproof, knowing that all he had to do was obey and follow God, that he could go into the darkness and he would receive the promised land, that he could do what God's asked him to do and God's promised him blessing after blessing after blessing. We're exactly the same. We've been given a promise. The best way to keep us from experiencing that promise is to have us constantly wondering whether we're saved or not. Okay, if, if you're still wondering in the battle, if you're part of the army, you're not gonna be very effective in the battle. Okay, part of your life is once you figure out that you have the spirit in you, that God can lead you and guide you, okay, there is a surrender. You take up your cross every day. You kill your flesh every day. You take every thought you have and you present it to the spirit. Is that something you want me to focus on or not? No? Okay, I'm moving on. And I literally feel like when I go through the day, uh, the spirit of God is with me all the time. I'm no special person. I'm just saved. I believe, and uh, he points things out as you go. You know, you'll be walking down the street and you go past a, play, a playground and you'll see some kid crying and the mom's sort of holding them and comforting them because they skinned their knee and you'll hear the Spirit of God go, that's, that's how I love you. That's how I, that's how, that's, that's how I feel about you. you know, you're fine, you're good. Um, I wanna be with you, okay? Too often, I think, we keep trying to perform for something we already have. I mean, the worst thing I think you could do to somebody is convince them that they have to keep performing after what Jesus did. Because if you have to add anything to what Jesus did, then you're saying your salvation's based on you and not him. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the more that you begin to process this and think about it, you okay, well, let's say you could you lose your salvation. What would be God's purpose in that? Well, you'd be more likely to follow God because you're afraid of losing your salvation. Okay, why do many people think they're saved and they're not? What would you say? They said a prayer one time. Why did they say that prayer? Because they were afraid. Because somebody threatened them with hell. Right. I remember when I was eight years old, we did these things called revivals. Have you all ever been to one of those? Back in the Baptist church in the South, they'd set up a big tent out here and they'd have revivals. And every night for like two weeks, somebody would preach and you had to sit out in the hot mosquito infested air while they preached okay and they always preach fire and brimstone and i can remember as an eight-year-old going i don't want to go to hell i ran down to the altar every night because they said that's where i go to get away from hell i had no idea what i was doing okay my parents finally told me stop going down there all right because they're using fear i mean if i said okay look if you don't accept christ you're going to burn in hell you want to accept christ Oh, okay, well then say this prayer and you'll be saved and you can go on and do whatever you want to do. Okay, well, a lot of people actually believed that. Um, the problem is, that's really not the gospel. Um, you know, the, 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 the scriptures are used sometimes so out of context. Like, the, you know the scripture that says, or people say, you know what, God's knocking on your heart, right? And if they do it with a southern accent, it's even better. <laughs> you know, God's knocking on your heart. He wants to come in. 
He loves you. He wants you to let him in. Do you hear him knocking? He's knocking on that door of your heart. Can you feel that? He's knocking on the door. He wants to come in. He wants to be with you. Okay? That's in Scripture. He wants to be invited into your heart. That's not in Scripture. The passage they're referring to is in Revelation where they're not letting Jesus in his own church and he's banging on the door saying, do you even recognize who I am? Okay? The point here is that many people have been deceived because they've been guilted, shamed, or made fearful in order to say a prayer and to try to be saved so that some pastor or some group of people can say, we've saved this many people. Wasn't that great? Look at all the people down at the altar. Okay? There was a pastor that did revivals in the 1800s called Whitehead. Here's what he was famous for. He'd start preaching on Monday. Every night they'd have revivals. He'd preach for 10 straight days. If anybody tried to come down to the altar in the first six days, he would yell at them, round trip them, and tell them that they're not broken enough yet and that they're acting on emotion. And if it's serious, they'll be back here later. Okay, that's what he did all the time. He was very concerned that people were going to react to the moment. Okay, At our church, uh, those that have attended, I don't do altar calls. And people, why don't you do altar calls? You know, you could do this thing where you, every head, every eye closed, every head bowed, and just raise your, oh yeah, I see you, I see you. Oh yeah, back in the back, I see you. And you know nobody's moving, right? Nobody's raising their hand, okay? And, and the problem is, I don't think people need to be manipulated into following Christ. I think they become aware of it. I think you tell them and you teach them the truth and you share with them that they need to surrender to Christ, but most people, that's a process not an instant decision. Okay, instant decisions can come from eating something weird. Okay, feeling goosebumps or nauseous or whatever. I had a feeling, so I must respond. What happens when you truly surrender to Christ is you just come to know that you know that you know. And so moments can play a role in that, but it's too easy to manipulate a moment. Wow. It's too easy to move somebody to a false decision. Okay. And, and I think that's one of the challenges because salvation is something that happens in your heart as you are drawn to Christ. You come thinking you're going to study about him and you fall in love and you begin to experience his heart and you're drawn to him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then you respond to him pouring out his love on you uh, by surrender. Okay. And remember, the other reason I wanted to say is our salvation is a covenant, okay, a covenant. Um, in first century Jewish times, if you wanted to make a covenant with somebody, what you would do is, let's say that uh, Jeff and I are going to make a covenant. Um, we're going to buy a mule together, okay, or whatever. All right, and he needs to know that I'm in. I need to know that he's in, and we would do a covenant. Basically, the way the covenant works is we take an animal and we'd sacrifice it. We cut it in half. Okay, we lay one half of the animal over here, one half of the animal over here. Okay, then the person who is requesting the covenant walks through the two animals, through the blood of the two animals. Okay, so literally their feet are bloody. They walk through the blood, and what they're saying is, if I break this covenant, may this happen to me. Okay, now the other person has the choice to walk through that covenant or not. Okay, In other words, they can say, I don't really want to go to work with you. I've changed my mind. And they can turn around and leave. 
All right, feel bad for the animal, but turn around and leave. All right, but if you choose to walk through the blood of that covenant, you're agreeing that the same thing. If, if, if I violate this covenant, same thing happens to me, okay? Covenantal relationships in scripture um, are marriage, our relationship with Christ, um, and then there are some lesser covenants. Okay, the most important covenant you're gonna make in your life is with Christ. Second most important is marriage, okay? They're not to be reneged on. So what happens is when you make that walk and you go through that blood and you make that covenant, you're committing to accepting the offer, okay? Your relationship with Christ is the same. The only difference is he's the sacrifice and the blood you're walking through is his, okay? So he basically walks through his own blood, says, I'm a sacrifice, do you wanna join me in the covenant? Okay, once you join that covenant, you don't undo a covenant, it can't be done. You can't put the animal back together, all right? And so your covenant relationship with Christ is a key component of the commitment you made to Christ, okay? now. If you stood behind, let's say the person that wants to make the covenant goes through. So Jesus goes through and he says, I paid the price for you, come join me. And you stand there and you go, yeah, I'm not sure. I'll be back, right? And then you come back and you go, still not sure. Uh, I'll be back, I'll come back. Um, and you just keep doing that, okay? Eventually you're no longer gonna make the covenant, okay? You're aware of it, you see it, you believe it, you're just not choosing to follow it. That's essentially the passage in Hebrews. You're choosing not to engage in the covenant. Okay, now, once you engage in that covenant, it's, un, it's unfixable. Okay, in other words, you can't undo it. Um, and if you break the covenant, that is what happens to you. Um, so the difference is, and here's the big difference, the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, and the covenant that you make with Christ is a unilateral covenant. Okay, let me explain the difference. Marriage is a bilateral covenant, okay? When you get married, in fact, my dad told me the day I got married, you're not making a promise to her. You're making a promise to God, okay? You're standing in front of God and you're committing to love her like Christ loved the church, to be there, to not walk away, and to have a covenant relationship with your wife for the rest of your life. Okay, that's the commitment you're making. You're not promising her, you're promising God. Okay, now she is not promising you, she's promising God. Okay, so the commitment you make in marriage brings Jesus into the middle of marriage. Okay, that's a bilateral covenant. Each of you agree to walk through the covenant. Okay, but the covenants God gives us are all unilateral. In other words, he says, I'm doing this. Okay, I'm going to invite you to it. You can come, but I'm doing it. Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants more than the stars in the sky. I'm going to rescue people, Moses, from Egypt. Do you want to join me or not? Okay. I'll never flood the world again. I'm making a covenant, my covenant, as God with you no matter what you do. Jewish people, you are my people. No matter what you do, I'll never leave you. I'll never back. I'll always be there. There will always be a remnant. I'm going to protect the Messiah is coming. I'm making a covenant. Okay. When you surrender to Christ, you are making a covenant, okay? Some point we'll go through what really happened at the Lord's Supper with each of the cups and what that really means, but you're making a covenant, okay? 
you're choosing to drink a cup or to partake in that covenant. Okay? Communion is basically you re-upping on the covenant you've agreed to. Okay? In other words, when we take communion, we're reminding ourselves that we're in a covenant relationship with God. Okay? That we surrendered, we, we've accepted the price He paid, we accept the sacrifice, we've walked through the blood with Him, we're now connected with Him in a way that can't be undone, um, and we are, for the rest of our lives, in that covenant relationship. Okay? Now, when you understand covenants and you understand the commitment somebody makes when they surrender to Christ, if they truly make the commitment, they are born again, and there's no way in the Bible that can be undone. I mean, it's just, it can't be done. Uh, it would violate the character and nature of covenants, of God, of any number of things. Okay, now I know that you can go and read and people will tell you you can lose your salvation. Okay, my advice to you is don't. <laughs> don't lose your salvation. Get busy doing what God wants you to do. Okay, don't spend all your time wondering, I wonder if I can lose my salvation. Okay, because the answer is either you can or you can't. If you can, then you better do your best to let the Spirit lead your life. And if you can't, you better do the best to let the Spirit lead your life. The outcome's the same. The only thing is the debate keeps you from fully engaging. So if you sit around all day going, I wonder if I'm really in this army. I wonder if I'm really part of this. Um, I'm not real sure or not. I think I'll sort of decide, did I get recruited? Did I actually sign up? Am I part of the army? I don't know. I think I'll stay here until I figure that out, right? We aren't called to sit on the sidelines and wonder. We're called to be secure in our salvation, to know that we're sealed, to have the fruit of the Spirit as the promise, um, to know that we have a power in us to change who we are, to know that we're not who we used to be, and that our flesh is not in control. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. What it means is our heart's desire is to seek what God wants. That comes from the Spirit. There's nothing in you, in your flesh, that makes you want to do what God wants you to do. It's not there, okay? The only reason any of us do what God wants us to do or worry whether we're doing what God wants us to do is because the Spirit of God is moving us and shaping us, praising, raising up Jesus. Okay, now, the other problem is within a church or within a body of Christ, it's a community. You have people that are brand new in the faith. You have people who are babies. You got people in kindergarten, first grade, college, mature believers. I mean, hopefully in a, in a body of Christ, you got all kinds of people in all sorts of areas, okay? So part of being mature in Christ is realizing there are people that aren't as mature and there's people that are more mature. And it's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's just where God has them right now, okay? And so that's why the scriptures will say, those of you who are more mature in Christ, help those that aren't, right? So part of the challenge here is if you can lose your salvation, then what that means is you can accept what Jesus did on the cross and then undo it. And I just don't see how that's possible, okay? Now, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying you'd have to undo a lot of scriptures. You have to go against the very nature of God himself. You'd have to undo at least three or four promises of God and at least one covenant. Uh, and God goes to great extremes to let you know that your salvation is secure in him and that he will keep his promise. Okay. I think Satan spends a lot of time trying to get us to not live up to the promise. Okay, to always wonder, and I'm not saying you shouldn't intellectually wonder about these things, but my point is, okay, if you're going to find one or two scriptures, you better read them really carefully and look at the context, and scripture doesn't contradict scripture. So if you're, if you've 
been studying scripture and you see the very nature and character of God in the scriptures, then he won't violate that character, if that makes sense. Does that help? Or does it just confuse things? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not asking you to necessarily agree. I'm just saying no, no, this is what I believe. I, I, I like walking through this stuff. It, it helps me. Um, I, I had one question. Sure. Going back to, so, like you said, like, I, I personally, I don't know anybody that walked away. Right. But the question is, like the people when, uh, in First John, when it says they went out from us. Uh-huh. Uh, love us. Yes. So, like, then my question goes back to what I said before, which is like, how close can you get without actually taking that step? Yeah, yeah. So that, like, I know that it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, well, I, I would tell you that I believe it's a dive, not a dip, if that helps. Yeah. In other words, I think that. When you get to that tipping point where you realize God is who he says he is, yeah. and it, you, you dive in full force, you don't just stick a toe in. Um, and I think Hebrews 6 is saying that you, you came close, you were there, it's revealed to you, you're aware of what's happening, um, you know what the Spirit's about, you've seen the Spirit in other people, you've basically been in Christian community and you've seen it, tasted it, and but you just couldn't commit to it. And you didn't commit and to it. And you walk away like the rich young ruler. Yeah, and you walk away. The rich young ruler is interesting because I think he comes back. I think he does too. Um, but, um, and I think he comes back, and I think obviously the rich young ruler I think is John, and he comes back and says, see, I left it all. I, I mean, there's this weird moment in the uh, garden where everybody forgets about it, but there's this moment in the garden where Jesus is arrested and then a naked man comes by. Have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, oh yeah, it's John Mark. So basically there's this naked guy that goes by and everybody goes, wow, that was weird. Why is that there? <laughs> well, I think it's John Mark. I think he's telling Jesus, I gave it all. Remember you told me to walk away. You told me to not live. I want you to know Jesus. I gave everything. I'm, um, and um, it would be typical that they would write not of themselves. They don't, you know, they never mention themselves, but whole nother story for a whole nother time. Um, one of the things I would just encourage you, the Holy Spirit teaches all things, okay? I do believe if you continue to pray to the Holy Spirit, help me process this concept, okay? There's nothing wrong with processing, okay? And I do believe that he will reveal to you that he wants you secure in your salvation because the price that was paid was high. And the power that you receive from knowing you're a child of God is very valuable. So those are the thoughts. Any I have some questions. Sure. So Hebrews 6. Yep. So you're saying those people all unbelieve in Jesus. Yes. Um, I disagree. Okay. I think Hebrews, well, at like at the end of Hebrews 5. Uh-huh. Um, I can read it. So 11, yep. verse 11. Concerning him. We have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Yep. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Yep. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For 
Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, okay. for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Mm -hmm. And then six. Mm -hmm. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance yes. from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying up on of hands and the res resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Mm -hmm. And this we will do if God permits. Okay. And it says for in those verses 9 to 7. Right. So, so when I read that, I, th I think it's talking about believers. Because? Because of, because of what I read. Okay, which part in particular? Um, Let me go to Hebrews. So it's like, so Hebrews 5 verses 11. Okay, hold on. Let me just pull it up. Let me pull it up. Hebrews, Hebrews 5. Okay. Okay. Um, saying in like 12, for by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary principles. You need milk, not solid food. Okay, so. Okay, so. Okay, who's the audience here? Okay, so he's talking to believers, yeah. okay, and he okay. says, we have much to say about this, but it's, it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Verse 11, okay, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Say it again, what, what version? Verse 11, we, this is the ESV. Okay. Actually, I'm sorry, that's the NIV. The ESV, uh, about this we have much to explain. It's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Okay, in the NIV it says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Okay? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. What is that? What are the basic principles of the oracles of God? Uh, I think it's the things listed in 6. Uh, 6 verse 1 and 2. Okay. Right, and he says, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world of righteousness since he's a child. Solid foods for the mature, right? And then he goes on and he says, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying foundation for repentance, right? And this we will do for it is impossible in the case of those. Um, okay, well, let's look at this. Therefore, let us leave the elemental doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Okay, who is he talking to? Believers. Believers. Not laying down the foundation of repentance from the dead and from the faith of God, right? And we're going to look at instructions of the washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay? For it is impossible in the case of those who've been once enlightened who've tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, to, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Okay? Now, he's talking about the fact that you are, uh, you are not maturing in Christ. Okay? Yeah. You, you are a believer that's stuck on milk and not solid food. Right? And... He turns and he says, for or 
it is impossible, or in the King James, if it's possible, if it's impossible, the case of those who've once been enlightened, okay? Um, why would you not assume that argument is you can do this because they couldn't? In other words, if I'm making an argument to you and I'm saying, okay, look, you're not growing, but you could be growing. You're just not growing. Okay. There's no reason you're not growing. You should be, you should be eating food by now and you're drinking milk and we really need to grow. Okay. Now it's impossible for somebody who has done these things to not, or, or to walk away once they've done it. So you can do this. It's, you have it in you to do it. Why would you think you couldn't do that? Does that make sense? No? Okay. Well, suppose... It's contingent upon the poor if God permits. I mean, yeah. Well, but I think, I think that... I think that is very much... If God permits, I think that's very much sarcasm. Not sarcasm, but just... Of course God permits that. I just told you you should be growing milk or growing solid food. You're not doing it, right? So he turns to them and he goes, for it's impossible for people who, to not, or, or to, you know, go back to repentance. You're not that person. You're actually somebody that has the spirit in you. You oh, should be growing. The whole context here is you should be growing and you're not, okay? It's impossible for somebody, you know that you have the spirit in you. You know you can grow. Why are you not growing? It's not because it's not there. It's because you're not doing it. Yeah, he's using it as a, it's a negative. A, uh, and, and the reason I think that's, okay, do I know that to be true? No, I'm not going to say that. But what I know is God's word doesn't contradict itself. And if I believe that scripture says I can lose my salvation, then I've got to ignore over a hundred other scriptures and the very character of God. A promise from God is a promise. I mean, it's sealed, it's done. So I think those are the questions. But in my, in my opinion, when you look at that passage, he's explaining a negative to try to make a point. You know you have the spirit in you. Can't. can't. Yes. But we can. Absolutely. Keep going. That's exactly what I think he's doing. I think what he's saying is, you, okay, you, he's, he's basically chastising them. You're not growing in the Spirit. The Spirit's in you. You're a believer. Okay, I'm addressing you as believers. The first point of sarcasm is if God allows it. Okay? Of course God allows it. The next point, I think, is, you know, it, those who've tasted, those, those who've come close, those, they can't do this. You can. That's what I believe he's saying. Yeah, I think, well, here's the thing. Um, we, um, the scriptures promise that we will all be uh, righteous in Christ. Okay, now we're righteous already because of what he's done. But the growth of spiritual maturity is that we become fully mature, lacking nothing. Okay. In order for that to happen, we're going to begin our growth both on this side of eternity and on the other side of eternity, okay? And um, I believe that that's one of the most incredible things about heaven. I think we'll finally understand what we were put here to do. Why were we given the gifts we're given? Why were we given the talents we're given? Who are we going to be fully? Right now we're limited in a sinful world. Once we're in heaven, we become exactly the person God wants us to be, the one he designed us to be, and the one he sees right now. When he, when he looks down right now, he doesn't see you where you are now. He sees who you're going to become. Okay, so for instance, suppose that uh, we were able to time travel ahead 
30 years, okay? And I have a five-year-old kid, let's say. And I get to go ahead and see them at 35. And I come back. I could never again think of them as a five-year-old, right? When they say, well, I'm not going to amount to anything. I go, no, 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 you will. I know, right? God looks at us and he sees who we're going to become, not always who we are right now, okay? He sees us fully revealed, fully engaged, fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, no longer bound by flesh. He sees who we're going to become, all right? And what I love about God is he's always the God of potential. He's such a God of potential. I mean, Gideon is literally hiding, and the angel shows up and says, oh, mighty warrior. Peter hadn't done anything correct yet. He calls him a rock. James and John are asking their mother to basically plead for them and he calls them sons of thunder. They were anything but sons of thunder, but one day they would be. One day Peter will be a rock. One day, okay, so he's got potential in all of us. Um, and I think that's important to understand. What we can do here on earth, surrender to the spirit is simply a shadow of what's to come. It's a veil, but that doesn't mean it's not incredible, right? I mean, one of the things about my, my focus is to try to help people see the truth of God's word so they're not limited in their belief or faith, okay? Because honestly, if I'm gonna go to battle with people, I don't need them debating whether they're part of the army when we're in the battle, right? We have to decide that and nail it down at some point. I'm either surrendered to Christ and fully in, or I'm not. And the point I wanna make is, um, when we look at other people, we can't really tell because they didn't know Judas was not following. He watched everything they did. He was stealing from them even. Jesus allowed it. And yet one day he just, no, I'm not in. I'm not in. Uh, and so, you know, I think people who appear to have followed Christ and walk away never surrendered. Uh, and in my experience, you can put a gun to my head, you can put whatever you want to do to me, I'm not going to denounce Christ. I know that I know that I know that the Spirit's in me. I will not go any other direction. Not because I'm great, because He's great. Um, I, I couldn't do it. It would be against my nature. I'd rather be dead. Okay, and so that's the Spirit. That's, that's the power of God. Other thoughts, questions? I'm not saying I'm always right, by the way. I'm just telling you how I've processed stuff. Take it to God, take it to the scriptures, pray through it, see what you think. But the other thing I would just suggest to you is, when I was in seminary, they used to tell us to study the opposing view as much as you study your own. A lot of times we tend to go to scripture looking for things to validate what we want it to say. But look at the other scriptures and say, what God, could this, could this be? And pay attention to that little part of you that says, wow, this causes a conflict. Because usually when the Word of God seems to be confusing, you haven't really, most of the time, you haven't surrendered to it yet. You're still processing it. Okay, there's still scriptures that I, I still, in my mind, don't have any clue what they mean. Um, but I trust that God does. So, does that help? I hope it does. I don't know. It's a lot. Keep asking questions. Keep searching with your mind. Because the more you seek with your mind, eventually your heart is going to move. So, Daniel, what's up? What? Absolutely. No, I don't want us to worship God at all.